Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, perhaps the only cafe that has potato water on the menu. And if you don't understand the potato water reference, you might have to circle back to our 2020 episode with with tonight's guest. So we'd like to thank all of our caffeinators for tuning in um, and continued support by repping our merchandise and, and contributing to us through Patreon. We genuinely appreciate it. And continuing to download our episodes and subscribing to all of our channels, um, we really, really, really want to thank you for all your time and, and support. Um, if this is your first time uh, to the Vet Tech Cafe, we're glad you joined us. Head on over to vettechcafe.com for all of our info, bios, all that fun stuff. And, and again, like and subscribe. Follow us on all of our channels. Um, Dave, how's it going out there? Anything on your mind? I'm in Austin, Texas, doing some recovery training with a hospital. Um, so I'll be here all week doing doing some training. And after that, I'm going to take a much needed break. Um, I'm going to take four or five days off and uh, not work for a handful of days. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, how's things going out there? Good, good. I was just out in uh, Wisconsin this past weekend uh, for a little getaway, and I got a little taste of fall, which was nice. <laughs> saw some fall colors and had a little bit of snow and some some colder weather that was uh, really enjoyable. Uh, coming home, I got on the plane in Chicago. It was 37 degrees, and I got off the plane three hours later here in Orange County, and it was 87 degrees. So, uh, <laughs> quite, quite this, quite the switch. But, um, but it's good. It's good to be home. It was good to have a nice little getaway. But um, kind of back to the grind now. So, yeah. So all's all's good back out here. It. Yeah. So um, we're gonna have a, another little bit of a free forum episode with tonight's guest, if you will. We've got a few questions to ask and kind of catch up with about, but um, otherwise just going to kind of be, you know, where are we at right now, which is kind of a, a always a fun and, and natural I conversation. I like these episodes. So, yeah. So we've got Steven Sattal coming back by the Vet Tech Cafe today. His reputation and, and bio precede him, so we won't even even bother you with that. But we'll just go ahead and jump right in. Steven, I know it's, it's late here on the West Coast. Uh, it's coming up on 7 o'clock at night. Uh, I don't know if I can get you a cup of coffee, but is there anything else I can get for you? You know, Jeff, it's been a day, <laughs> so maybe put some Baileys, and if you want to throw something else in there, I'm not opposed to <laughs> we'll it. Will do, for sure. We'll <laughs> we'll get right on that. Um, so, Stephen, last time we spoke to you, which was early 2020, we hadn't even had the pandemic yet, which is kind of crazy. You lived in Maine, and you were working for Elevet. I know a lot of that's changed. What are you doing now? What are you up to? Where are you at? Yeah, well, I mean, even uh, how we're doing this podcast has changed <laughs> yes, quite a bit. Yes, it has hasn't it <laughs> now i'm using this like new platform i don't i'm unfamiliar with but uh no a lot has changed and i think a lot of it uh has been for the positive you're right i was at elevet working in maine at the time still a great company fantastic product that i recommend anytime 
but obviously, as my job was 50 to 70% travel, that was hampered quite a bit. <laughs> but luckily, you know, I, I learned that I am definitely a West Coast mm. guy. That's for sure. Um, I was having a hard time in Maine, not able to get corn tortillas, <laughs> any Mexican food. <laughs> you came in and we had this conversation. Yes. Same story. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely happy to be back. And uh, it's, it's, it's nice to be back close to friends and family. And, you know, when Stanford calls and says, hey, we want to offer you a job, I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's. And then let's see. I got married. Congratulations. Um, thank Congrats. you. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been a whirlwind. I've, I've, I've always been kind of a, a busy guy, but have a lot on my plate now. I feel like I'm adulting a little bit more now. <laughs> <laughs> Adulting's the worst. So it, it is, it is. It's like, congratulations, children. You get to grow up and work the rest of your mm-hmm. lives. Um, so <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Got to make the best. For sure, for sure. So what are you doing for Stanford? So currently I'm a, a lab manager in the Department of Neurobiology and we do some pretty cool basic science on the brain, kind of mapping the brain, figuring out why it's paying attention to things, uh, kind of working memory type stuff, obviously still doing the anesthesia, which is kind of my passion. And my boss has been particularly supportive uh, with me doing my own research, which is kind of awesome. And so my research that I'm kind of focusing on right now, although I haven't invested a lot of time lately, just because of uh, other things on on my uh on the burners, but my particular interest is looking at EEG waveforms to kind of fingerprint different anesthetic drugs. So each drug that you give an animal um, has a very specific EEG pattern, and it's then put into this really pretty pretty uh, spectrogram of different colors. So each drug has its own little pretty rainbow signature. So looking at that. And then also looking at uh, something called PSI, which is patient status index, which is essentially looking at the consciousness level of the patient under anesthesia. Mm. Um, you know, we always hear the horror stories, mostly on the human side, because we use a lot of paralytics of people being awake under anesthesia and like hearing everything and feeling everything, but they can't move because they have this paralytic. Not as much of a problem in veterinary medicine, just because we don't use as many of those paralytics, but trying to understand what this PSI status looks like for um, animals as well. Wow. That's really interesting. That's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's funny because I, you know, my good friends, uh, Darcy Palmer and Tasha McBurney, who were part of the anesthesia nerds with with me, you know, I'm telling them, I'm like, you know, I went from monitoring anesthesia from... Uh, using a, a Doppler and like um, non-invasive blood pressure monitoring machines to like next level using arterial uh, blood pressure monitoring. And now I'm like, now I'm just looking at brain waves and like can kind of predict what's going to happen to all the vital signs based on brain waves, which is just crazy uh, how far we've come. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun. Really, really. That sounds like that's so cool. That's so cool. I would, it's something I, I would never even like, I wouldn't even ever be on my radar, you know, like in, in the clinical setting to think about it on that level that you could even like look at that. And like you were saying, like, you know, kind of predict what's going to happen or, or have an idea of what's coming. That just that blows my mind. Yeah. And and what's also kind of interesting is uh, I was telling my boss about that cat study where, with cats under anesthesia and how the type of music that the surgeon is playing will affect the overall vitals uh, in that animal. Wow. So like if you're listening to heavy rock or, 
hip hop music, generally the the vital signs tend to trend higher compared to more relaxing melodic music where the vitals tend to tra- trend lower. So it's not even necessarily the stimulus of the surgery, but the auditory, subconscious auditory stimulus still occurring in the brain under anesthesia. So I think that that was kind of the impetus for this consciousness study that I'm a little bit interested that I'm interested in. I don't know as I'm a little bit uh, interested in, in kind of sussing out. And my boss who's famous neuros, uh, neuroscientist was like, oh yeah. And was explaining things. And I was just actually shaking my head because he was going way over my head. Really cool nonetheless. So maybe, maybe I'll figure out why that was happening. Super we'll cool. See. That's amazing to think because, you know, I, you know, we hear that all the time, like, oh, you play soothing music and it, and it calms them down. I, I've always kind of just thought of that as like, yeah, that's just something people say. But it, it's amazing to hear that there's actual science behind it. That actually is true. That's amazing. Yeah. So you've done a lot of work with uh, cannabis research. And, and I imagine that since the last time we spoke, well, last time we spoke on this podcast, a lot has been done in the, in the form of cannabis research. Uh, and, and recently there was a book that came out that you were a big part of. Is that is that true? Yeah. So uh, another common guest that you got, you have, uh, Liz Houston, yes. great friend of mine, an awesome colleague, Dr. Uh, Catherine Kramer and Dr. Jamie Gaynor. We're the primary editors for... Uh, textbook called Cannabis Therapy and Veterinary Medicine that was published by Springer Nature in 2021, I believe, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, one that it was technician-led is, I don't know, if, I guess I should know this word. Is editorship a word? If it's not, it is today. <laughs> uh, so technician-led editorship, which I think is kind of awesome, and nonetheless by Springer Nature, which is kind of top-tier publishing house. So uh, super proud of that. We have, I think, technicians um, and doctors writing collaboratively on, I think, most chapters, uh, if not all. And yeah, super, super proud. I, I tell my mom, you know, you're not getting any grandkids. So books are, <laughs> are the books that I write or the chapters that I write are, are just take them as your grandchildren. Cause... Do, you, do you send her pictures of your books? <laughs> I do. I do. Very good. And it was cool because I got to dedicate this one to my mom. So that's that was, awesome. That was cool. That's awesome. Oh, that's yeah, great. I, I had seen. I, I couldn't even tell you the post. I, I I'm thinking it was maybe in the either in the Cannabinoid Academy or it might have even been in Anesthesia Nerds, but I think it was in the Cannabinoid Academy on Facebook about you had said something to the effect of while you were writing the book, you know, it's such a long process. There's a lot of stuff that changes by the time that that's finally in print. And I think you had said something to the effect of there's a lot of things that we thought were going to be true. And now there's actually studies coming out proving that that's, that's true. And, 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 you know, you post, I know on science Friday and, you know, a new study and always fascinating stuff. So it sounds like there's a lot of momentum and there's still a lot being discovered. Yeah. Sure. For sure. And, and when we were writing the book, you know, we definitely, we wanted to keep it evidence-based, but we also had to, throw in the practical side of it. Cause a lot of things that we do in veterinary medicine is kind of anecdotal and, and based off just personal experience and what works and what doesn't. And so when we were all writing it as the 30 plus authors, I think we did a really good job to keep it science backed, but open enough to where the book's still not outdated. I, I still would not consider the book outdated, which is good because I, I believe I wrote in that post, usually when something is published, it's two or three years right, behind right, already. Right. Wow. And I'm, I'm super proud that we wrote it in a way that it's still relevant. And some of the things that we were saying, hey, this might be the thing that's happening 
are now coming to fruition and, and being proved uh, true. Wow, that's so that's so awesome, so awesome. So uh, let's talk about your uh, lot of traction the last couple of weeks. Um, an op-ed that you did in Trends Magazine, uh, which I think is put out by Aha, if I'm not mistaken, on the VTS path. What kind of led you to to write about that? Uh, I know there's been a lot of debate. We've talked a lot about it on this show about this idea of a mid-level practitioner and, and how the VTS really sh- could or should probably already kind of fill that role and all the education nonsense and what have you. But I'm curious what kind of led you to to start writing that, and then we'll talk more about the article itself. Well, I think you guys known me long enough where I'm not super awesome at keeping my opinions to myself <laughs> all the time. <laughs> That's why we have you on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. To be fair, I'm just going to make this statement. So I, I know I I have a reputation, some of it good, some of it bad. Some of it is like, God, why is he so sassy and snarky and, you know, all the time. And and really, I, I want everyone to know it's really out of love for this profession and love for technicians. Um, you know, if I, if I seem super assertive where it's almost offensive or, you know, particularly blunt where it doesn't feel awesome, it's not necessarily to hurt any feelings. It's just, I need to get a point across. And sometimes the points that we need to have come across to us are not awesome. And we, we have to kind of learn to accept that as professionals and not be sensitive to that type of thing. I, I think we, I've learned that a lot, uh, writing for books and articles and everything, getting a lot of feedback. And some of it is not great, but it's, it's something that I think we should all work on. And so when I put these articles out there, uh, like I did for uh, the trends article, I really wanted to be honest about what's happening in our profession right now, some of these discussions in particular about the the mid-level practitioner kind of position. And, you know, what's interesting about that title in general is in the human world, that was used as kind of an insult. Uh, Same with paraprofessionals. So the fact that we even keep saying or, you know, saying mid-level professional is kind of annoying. And and I kind of like the idea uh, of advanced practice veterinary technician or veterinary technician specialist. That makes a lot more sense to me. But I, I really wanted to write that article because, one, I truly believe that the VTS pathway is an incredible pathway for anyone to to do in general. But also, I think it could fill this this kind of spot that we're discussing right now. And I think a lot of people are probably aware there are there is one program that is piloting this master's degree program right now. Others interested in doing the same thing, but I, I wanted to be honest with people in stating that unless those programs and those schools and those states are opening up the Practice Act, the way these programs are marketed right now is suspect to me. And I don't want people to spend all this money thinking they're going to take this program and be a vet tech nurse practitioner or, or something along those lines, because that's not what's happening. And in particular for the Lincoln Memorial University program, you know, I'm, I, I know Dr. Price well. She's not trying to package it as that, although there has been some media and some people in particular kind of selling it as that idea when it's not. It's not. So I wanted to be honest with people and then hopefully maybe get some of the people uh, that are higher up that do read those articles to to get thinking that, hey, this BTS thing is something that we should more seriously look at because we are heavily underutilized just as a regular technician, not even a BTS. And obviously the BTS technicians are highly underutilized, even more so. So I, I think it's a, a logical uh, pathway. And 
you know, if we look at these proposed or suggested programs that might be this, this, God damn, I have to say it again, mid-level practitioner, an 18-month online program, at least to me, does not seem like a very good way to create someone that is supposed to maybe be prescribing non-controlled substances and maybe performing minor surgeries, maybe doing these things that take a lot more critical thinking, whereas the VTS pathway is, I think, minimum three years between all the academies, if not five years for some of the academies, hands-on, high-level work, proof of skills in the field. So I, th- I think it's it's set up a lot better for a more successful professional. For sure. This the, I, I may be mis- misremembering this. Is there any requirement for any type of in-clinic uh, experience for these people going for this master's degree? So I don't want to speak completely to the LMU program because okay. I'm not super detailed on it, but I believe there is a clinical portion to okay. that. But unless those states are willing to open up the practice, the practice act, they're not going to be able to do something like neuter a cat or prescribe, you know, like, yes, in theory, we can, you can go out there, get your clinical experience and talk to a doctor of like what you would want to do, but that's not the same thing as actually doing it. Mm-hmm. We do for the, the, the BTS Academy. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, and I don't know even really how it works on the diplomate side. You know, let's say we open up the Practice Act and we allow a VTS holder to be doing these kinds of things. What I'm curious about is like what has to change in the Practice Act to essentially let VTSs of all these different disciplines thrive in their individual roles in the in their specialties because obviously they're not going to you know lay it out for all of the specialties but i don't honestly even know how it works really for diplomates kind of what what would have to change yeah so the interesting part of that that i did touch on in the article is you know we we hold diplomates in high prestige as far as their knowledge and their skill right but legally as far as what they can perform in practice, it's no different compared to your regular GP vet with no specialty certification. Okay, that's there, actually what I thought. No, I... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is no legal difference between the two. It's just this thing built on respect within our own industry. And I think we can do the same thing with the VTSs, with the exception of opening up the practice acts to allow things like protocol-based um uh, prescribing or minor surgeries like actual like cat neuters or small lacerations or even dental extractions, even root canals, that that type of thing. Uh, as far as starting emergency treatment, I know California has pretty good laws, but other states don't. Starting emergency treatment without a veterinarian on site or having that that um, you know phone call away kind of thing. So I, I do think there's room to open up practice acts and allow individuals, preferably ones that are credentialed with a higher uh, uh, level of training to do more. And, you know, you're probably one of the two or three, like most connected. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, a, a very wide network in our field. Do you feel like veterinarians from, you know, conversations that you've had, are they pretty open to this idea or specialists or, you know, that to have, us as VTSs take stuff off of their plate and start doing these things? Is is there some nervousness or angst with that? Or what do you hear? Literally all of the above. <laughs> um, 
And what's interesting is you see the biggest difference between veterinarians that serve in rural areas mm. or with large animals versus, uh, and I would throw an equi- uh, equine into that same group of like bovine, uh, small ruminant, that kind of, of uh, speciation uh, versus something like uh, a more city-based veterinary clinic. Uh, because unfortunately, in veterinary medicine, we're still uh, the veterinarians are still based uh, paid off of production. So there's a lot of concern of how are we going to pay these people? And you know, I'm in an I'm in an interesting position. I I'm, try to be very open about wage transparency, but I'm a veterinary technician that I know is is making as much as many veterinarians out there. And, and having to pay this kind of mid-level professional uh, appropriate wages to even be interested or, or stay or make it worthwhile is another tricky conundrum that we have to figure out. Interestingly enough, it, it does seem like there's a lot of interest also with big corporate uh, practices compared to small animal practices. And if you look at it just from an economic side, it is more than likely that this mid-level professional or, or whatever you want to call it is going to be paid less than a veterinarian. Um, and so obviously the corporates who are interested in making money, uh, even though they might have some fun marketing campaigns that we're here to save animals, that's bullshit. Like we know that they're here to make money. It's going to be interesting to see that fight as these things continue to pan out with who's going to be supporting this kind of role because of their own economic benefit versus what is actually best for the profession and best for animals out there. Uh, because we also just can't ignore that there is a veterinarian shortage. There is a veterinary technician. There is a veterinary assistant shortage in general. And again, creating this whole program is not necessarily going to solve all our problems. I know so many technicians that would want to do this mid-level type position, but then you're just creating more holes for those veterinary technicians, <laughs> yeah. which we can't fill in general. So it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, I don't know. It's almost creating another problem. Yeah, it's a, a cyclical problem in 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 the whole thing. And you know, I I I think a lot about this with the optics of you know we we talk a lot about this in veterinary medicine. We talk about this in our our own internal groups. And how do we get this type of conversation? How do we get this knowledge out to the general public to let them know what technicians are doing, what VTSs are doing? Uh, and, and how do we get that that message out to them that essentially adds value to our customers to say, you've, we've got Stephen with the seven million letters after his name, me and me and Jeff with all the letters after our name. How do we get that message out to the public to say, this is what you're paying for and this is why you're paying for it? Yeah, I, I always go back to that article. I can't even remember what newspaper it was written in, uh, comparing the cost of a canine spay to a hysterectomy in a woman. And that that article is, I don't know, like 15 years Mm -hmm. old plus now. I I think we need more deliberate articles like that paid for by AVMA, by NAVTA, by any of these state associations to really start educating the public on, on what we're doing. And to be fair, letting them know the different roles that exist within a veterinary practice, what a veterinary assistant is, the schooling or lack of schooling that requires, what a credentialed veterinary technician is, and what they're allowed to do compared to a veterinary assistant. 
what a veterinarian is, and then what a veterinarian specialist is. Uh, so I, I think it's really important because even as as our own profession, we don't have particularly clear definitions of any of those. Mm-hmm. And you know, it doesn't help that we have uh, what is it? Four titles: CBT, LBT, RBT, LMBT. Did I miss one? I think that's all. That was all. Um, you know, that is not helpful either. And, and oh my gosh, I feel so boxy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and then having the buy-in from veterinarians also, uh, we just did a, a panel with David Liz, Kenyagi and Liz talking about veterinarian support for these types of initiatives, but also veterinarian support for uh, appropriate titling of us within the clinic. Uh, when you go to a human hospital, the the doctor, I almost said the veterinarian, the doctor, the <laughs> physician uh, will say, oh, the radiology tech is going to come in and do this. Oh, the phlebotomist is going to come in and this. They don't say, oh, the nurse is going to come in and do everything. We need to be better about delineating us within the, the practice. Again, not to say one's better than the other, but we need we need that professional recognition between different levels of team members. And in something that I hear all the time, and it's so mushy, I'm just not good with mushy stuff is I hear veterinarians say, oh, well, I call everyone nurse or I call everyone technician because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm like, okay, then call me doctor because I feel like I'm smarter than you. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. That's not my appropriate title, but you're not calling all these other people by their appropriate titles. Yeah, you you damn sure could pass that test. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also I I think about the uh, the fact that, you know, we just had Vet Tech Week and I've I've heard a lot of hospitals say, oh, we we did – Staff Appreciation Week, which I mean, in, mm-hmm. in the effort of not, for lack of a better term, pissing off somebody, you're pissing yeah. off the technicians that you're supposed to be celebrating that week. So you know, it, it's one of those things where we have to, we have, like you said, we have to delineate and make people understand it. And and the fact that you know, I I think it's changed a little bit, but you know, back in my day, uh, ten years, <laughs> fifteen years ago, Vet Tech Week, there was pretty much only Vet Tech Week. I mean, we have veterinarian day and we have vet assistant week now and we have csr week we didn't have all those things but definitely back then and i think it's still partly true to this day it's a damn consolation prize like if you have to have a week to celebrate you as a professional that means one people know that you're underpaid two they know you're disrespected and three like here's a pizza party hope it makes you feel better and cooler about yourself like why are we yeah um, over these these weeks that are really just a consolation prize, in my opinion. Yeah. You, you had said in there, you, you referenced that article about comparing like, you know, a spay to a, a hysterectomy and, and the cost breakdown. I, I was, I had this image from, you know, when I was fairly new as an assistant in the, the mid to late nineties. And I remember all the time looking through the local newspaper and just seeing every local animal hospitals coupons for a $40 dog spay or, you know, and they were just out competing each other for $5 less to, to do a dog spay. And it's like, I feel like now we have to undo all of that because that's, that's public perception is that, well, there was a coupon in the paper and it was $30. I I don't understand why it's a big deal. Like we have, for so long, we shot ourselves in the foot and like, we have to now work to undo all of that, really undo that before I feel like in some ways we can even move forward to where we need to get to. Right. And trying to explain 
to the owner, you know, you're comparing apples to oranges for a $40 spay when you're using, you know, like Johan bean and I don't know, like Torb <laughs> or a fractal or something like that compared to what a specialist has to offer. You know, it's, it's so toxic. We created such a toxic environment for our, our clients and confusing. Right. We, 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 by and large, have done it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get too much further into this, why don't we take a little break here and we'll, we'll pay some bills and we'll be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where no, you may not speak to the manager. You're going to have to talk to Steven, uh, and he will tell you what's what. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Stephen, we, we like to uh, come back from our ad for better help, uh, talking a little bit about mental health, um, you know, with everything that you have on your plate and everything that you're doing. How do you manage your mental health at this stage? Well, I can tell you I was not managing it well before. I'm still not managing it super well today. <laughs> but I can tell you that that um, getting married has definitely helped with that. I was classically so. Oh, I'm going to be vulnerable. Um, <laughs> my first relationship failed because I was not taking care of my mental health and certainly the relationship. I was the type of person and still the type of person I have to fight these urges that I go to work all day and then I come home and I do all these extra side projects um, and I don't pay attention to my partner. Being married now um, and being 35 and not 21 anymore, I definitely understanding i'm definitely understanding the value in taking care of someone else helps almost take care of me um so i'm making sure i, I am you know i guess today's an exception as he's um, in the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> um, you know trying to not work when i come home and spending time with him which has definitely decreased my stress level um a lot and i take more walks when I'm a little bit irritated instead of, you know, maybe going on social media. And then I also do this fun little game, especially if you have an Apple uh, product phone, it sends you like weekly uh, screen time uh, increases or decreases. Like to have this competition with myself in my head. It'll say, Oh, you're down 13% screen time for today. Like, well, shit, I want to get to 20%, you know? So I, I have to, with myself to get off of my phone, which I think adds a lot to at least my mental anguish 
And then just to be honest, you know, because I'm the cannabis guy, I totally get stoned and I vet it out and I shut off my brain that way. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. We encourage we encourage you to to take a take a non vet day every now and then where you just don't do anything veterinary related whatsoever. Um, that that's I mean that's worked for me and Jeff. You know, again, it's still a it's still a, a struggle for me. It's it's not something I can do every week, but we're trying. We're trying. All right. So to get back into it. Where do you see our profession right now? I, I know we've been talking a lot about, you know, advanced degrees and advanced um, stages of things, but where do you see the profession of veterinary technicians right now? I see us in kind of the same position we've been in. However, as someone that is kind of cynical at times, um, I, I actually do see a light now. And I see this light because practitioners, uh, especially from larger uh, hospitals, are going to be walking up to that line about uh, as far as what practice acts say, as far as what technicians can do, uh, as far as utilizing people in kind of an advanced uh, veterinary technician kind of role, you know, instead of maybe having the veterinarian go in and uh, sorry, the veterinarian go in after a technician has gone and grabbed the vitals, grabbed a history uh, in particular for vet tech specialists, like rehab in particular. Uh, so if you have a VTS and like rehab, you can have the doctor go in, get the vitals, establish this client-patient relationship thing. And then the VTS rehab is the one that's coming in and actually kind of creating these plans. The doctor signs off and says it's okay and everything, but utilizing that specialist in that kind of role. And we're kind of doing that with people that are familiar with cannabis in general, uh, just because a lot of veterinarians are maybe still unfamiliar with cannabis medicine. Uh, we see this in particular for people that have like their CVPP, which is Certified Veterinary Pain Practitioner. Uh, again, the veterinarian can go in, get the vitals, establish this relationship, and then the CVPP technician can create a pain protocol. And the doctor, of course, signs off and they have to agree on that. But utilizing people in a more advanced way and kind of walking up to that line as far as what is legal and, and in their particular state, which I think is only going to help advance this idea of creating this mid-level type position. I, I am also seeing an increase in general master's degrees in veterinary medicine. And I'm excited, but also scared by that. Because again, as I mentioned earlier in the, the, the show, that some of these programs are kind of marketed uh, with maybe some suggestions of promises or a career advancement when they can't really do that. So I'm excited that there's these new educational opportunities, but I would also just caution people to be careful about what their expectations are and what the return on their investment will actually be. Um, I have a colleague of mine uh, and we're set to do a, a demographic study um, kind of sussing out what is the difference between a technician that maybe did alternate route like myself? Like I don't have a, an associates in veterinary technology. I have my RBT, but what is that person getting paid compared to someone that does have an associates in veterinary technology or someone that has a bachelor's in veterinary technology or someone that has one of these master's degree? Is there a financial cost benefit for taking these advanced programs? I mean, I love nerding out, but I don't need to spend $20,000 to read the same books that someone in a master's program is, is reading, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think that'll be really interesting. 
And then certainly, let's see. I think we're still going to be continuing and and growing upon this idea of technician utilization. I, I'm very excited about that. I think we need to do a better job of getting the data that's out there. Um, the AVMA just put out their most recent economic survey. And I mean, if, if you're not reading that and saying, oh, damn, like I should be using my technician more because it's going to bring in more money to the practice and it's going to keep my employee happier. Why the hell are we not doing this? So I, I think we're going to see an expansion of that, which is very exciting. Yeah, that would be for sure. Yeah. Um, last time you were on, uh, one of the one of the key points I remember talking about, you had mentioned this idea of breaking glass ceilings in our field. And, and I'm curious, have there been any major ones that either you've broken or that you've seen broken since since you mentioned that, or others that you have your eye on to break? <laughs> Yeah, so I am I am very fortunate in my career to what I believe is broken some glass ceilings, you know, as far as uh, taking roles like I did with Elevet, as far as being even a keynote speaker at a major veterinary yeah. conference, you know, uh, being a lead editor for a textbook published by Springer Nature. I think those are all really important. However, as, as proud as I am of those things and as much as I like doing those things, for those of us that are breaking glass ceilings, it's kind of the same people, you know, like I want to see other technicians break these glass ceilings. So I love, I love what I do, but I'm tired of seeing my name associated with these accomplishments. I want to see other people do them. And I think those of us in these positions of influence and, and in some people positions of power need to share some of that with upcoming uh, technicians within the industry. I think that's really important for growth overall. But another name that stands out to me, and I can't, I don't, I, I don't think I'm going to say her last name right, but Alexandra Gaksich, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, she's in Canada. You know, she was pivotal in getting legislation passed in Canada to ban declaws and cats. Like that's, that's so badass. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge one. I don't have anything that remarkable. So that's. <laughs> cool. And I'm really excited about that. And then I'm also happy to see that a lot of veterinary medical boards uh, are starting to have a mandated veterinary technician on the board. So I think that's another very positive um, kind of ceiling that we're finally breaking through. Nice. Nice. So it sounds like we are, we are making progress, however, maybe slow, but we're, we're <laughs> going in the right direction, right? Like, like that's the thing. We have to make yeah. that first step. And, and I love that you said that, you know, there needs to be other people that are that are kind of breaking through those walls and breaking through those ceilings. I, I think that's, that's something that's definitely needed in our profession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so from your position, what do you see is the biggest obstacle in our profession and how are we going to fix it? Oh, man. We meaning the three of I us, mean... like tonight, we're going to fix it tonight. <laughs> yeah. Oosh, wave that magic wand. <laughs> uh, uh, definitely, definitely. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> What is the biggest or one of the biggest obstacles in our profession for advancement and how are we going to fix it? One of the biggest obstacles is certainly education, whether it's client education or practitioner education, whether that's a veterinarian or a technician. It amazes me as as much of a reach I might have on social media or the people I speak to at conferences. I always find a large group of people that don't know what a veterinary technician specialist is, uh, are unfamiliar that they can be doing more for their practice act in their state. Uh, Maybe they're working with a veterinarian that has really outdated practice 
practices, and that's the only kind of medicine they've ever been exposed to. So education for everyone, clients included, and, and the client portion being telling them what we actually do and are, are capable of. Uh, another piece, let's see, <laughs> communication with each other. <laughs> as far as the doctor and the technician, the technician, the assistant, etc., I think communication is really critical and lacking on all fronts all the time. Um, that's just a human problem, I think. And then certainly changing the model, and, and this is, this is going to be a big one, changing the model of veterinary medicine as far as how we're being paid, what we're being paid, general expectations, and getting buy-in from everyone in the industry, which is going to be a very, very, very uh, tough challenge. But I, I think that's really necessary if we actually want to get out of this like toxic slump that we're in with veterinary medicine, as far as our poor mental health, poor wages, uh, you know, just harm to our bodies just because of the physicality of our, our positions. Um, all, all the things that I think we're all very aware of uh, that, that really is going to need to come from just total industry change as, as far as we see our practices and our careers and all the things, all the For things sure. you, you mentioned, it all down. <laughs> just you, you mentioned education in there. And I, uh, I'm part of a, um, a startup for a, like a VTNE study review program. And it's both like frustrating and mind boggling the stuff that I'm reviewing with these people that are getting ready to take the VTNE because there's such outdated concepts and like what, really they should be being taught or or tested on isn't on the exam and it, it's, it's like i i constantly am telling this this group that's in the program now like so this is for the exam but this is not what you're gonna do in like don't do this in practice like i'll teach you about butorphanol sure but please don't use it for pain control and dogs and cats and it's actually kind of scary how bad some of that lags behind Agreed. I, you know, I just redid um, the lab animal chapter for the Mosby's study, study guide. Uh, and I did the previous two chapters, which is really fun. And I'm just like, do I really have to put this in? Are people still being tested on this antiquated? Right. Lab? Like it's. Horrible. Yeah. And then, you know, the other the other just problem with those types of exams, uh, which is very different compared to human medicine, is there's not a lot of kind of critical thinking type questions in those exams. And that's true for the VTS exams as well, is a lot of them are multiple choice. And that's great. Like you can learn to take a good multiple choice exam. But there's a lot of discussion, especially within the VTS community of how do we like test and how can we make a psychometrically sound exam where we're asking them essay questions or, or you know, getting idea of their critical thinking skills rather than yeah, you guessed the right answer on this multiple choice. Because I think critical thinking is also something that is lacking with Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and, and how to critically think. And even more so, you know, just because I, I run these groups and we get all kinds of questions all the time, how to do like a literature search. You know, we, we make fun of this through social media all the time. Oh, I've done my research. And it's like, oh, I went on TikTok for an hour. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> research, you know, and, and, 
And as much as we we make fun of like Google, oh, did you just Google that? Like, yeah, there is Google Scholar, which has really good peer-reviewed scientific studies, like how to do a real literature search and critically think how to put all these pieces of the puzzle together to come to the most informed answer rather than relying on hearsay, TikTok, or <laughs> Instagram, or some of these other uh, less than great uh, sources. For sure, for sure. <laughs> we uh, we lost Dave for a little bit. He had uh, a bad rainstorm and lost power. But yeah. Dave, glad you made I'll, it back. <laughs> I'll edit all this out. So, Stephen, uh, as we're getting more towards our the end of our hour and hoping my Wi-Fi holds up, is there a person or a topic that you would like us to either have on the show or 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 discuss on an on a, a upcoming episode of the Vet Tech Cafe? Yes, I do have a recommendation. Only because I did talk about it a lot, and even though they are not. A veterinary technician, I think it would be really nice if you guys got to talk to uh, Dr. Bonnie uh, Price, who is the director for the LMU program. So she okay. can really kind of clear the air as to what the program is okay. yeah. uh, versus what people might be reading in, in articles and from other people. I'd, I'd rather people hear it from the horse's Heck mouth yeah. um, as far as what that program is. So, yeah, absolutely. We will yeah. We will reach out and see if we can get in touch with her. Awesome. Well, caffeinators, we're getting close to the end of our hour. We really want to thank everybody for uh, for tuning in today. Dave, why don't you go ahead and do our Would You Rather, and we'll wrap up. Well, yeah, Stephen, I don't think we had a Would You Rather I don't think we were doing these we were yet. Last. <clears throat> this, yeah, I don't think we were doing these. So um, this has kind of evolved where we would just ask you a question, but now we're giving our guests the option to pick. So tell me one, two, or three. Um, let's do number three. Number three. Okay. You are given the ability to become immortal. Would you rather spend immortality as a 10-year-old or a 70-year-old? I choose number two. (laughs) (laughs) So the funny thing is, is like, you know, you see all these movies where it's like everyone wants to be immortal. I'm like, why the hell would you want to be immortal? Yeah, me neither. And I'm, and I don't, I'm not suicide. I'm not like considering harming, uh, harming myself or anything, but like death to me sounds really peaceful. I'm like, Oh my God, I just get to sleep. <laughs> That's um, but I'm sorry. So the question was a 10 year old or a 70 year old. Yeah. You're either 10 or you're 70. Like what are my health statuses? <laughs> at these ages? Um, well, at, and- at 10, you'd be healthy, but at 70, you're, you're relatively healthy. Um, for a 70 year old <laughs> i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a 70 year old yeah because you I'm have all the knowledge knowledge and hopefully i have some money and can travel yeah. <laughs> and I don't, hopefully i'm in good health. yeah that's that's what yeah I'm i i would pick that too the idea of well hopefully again being retired um and hopefully in good enough health to to travel but like not have to work anymore and uh, i don't know the idea of sometimes like the idea of just being an old curmudgeon like a crotchety old man just like <laughs> gets me really excited. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost there as it is. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Steven, thank you so much for the, for the time um, and for the discussion. It was really great to have you come back by and, and kind of expand on where we were a couple of years ago and, and also kind of talk about some new ideas that are out there. Um, thank you so much for all you do for the profession and, and not just yeah. that, but also, I do want to say as people as well, I, I don't read or see a lot of news for my own mental health. I had to just bail on news and current events, which I know makes me complicit in a lot of things, but I do want to say 
your stories that you post on social media, I pretty much click every link or watch every video. And I'm, this is not an exaggeration. 90% of the current events that I know about that are going on in the world, I got the link from your stories. So I want to thank you because otherwise, literally, I would have no clue about so much of this stuff. So other than sports. Other than sports, probably. Um, so, but you know, so not only you know all the things that you do for the profession, but frankly, for for humanity and for us as humans, I genuinely appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. You are welcome, caffeinators. You guys have a great night. It was great to see you guys again, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye, bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.